Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Top 100 Clubhouse, the ultimate podcast for golf course enthusiasts worldwide. I'm your host, James Henderson, and we're about to embark on a journey through lush fairways and breathtaking landscapes, as well as delving deep into the minds of fascinating individuals from every corner of the golfing universe. Get ready to explore the world's top golf courses through the eyes of those who know them best. In this episode, Simon and I have the pleasure of welcoming Zach Blair. Zach shares his insights about his experiences in the PGA Tour, highlighting his preferences for playing exceptional golf courses rather than engaging in practice rounds. Furthermore, he discusses his venture of establishing the Buck Club and sheds light on the significant project involving purchasing land in South Carolina and collaborating with Kai Goldby and Tom Doak to develop the tree farm. Enjoy. Hello to Zach. How are you doing? Are you well? Yeah, doing good. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. I've also got Simon Holt with me, who was on the previous podcast. Hello. Great to be here and uh, has to be the most unique venue for a podcast. Um, obviously, for people listening, they can't see. We are in well, like a 16th century tower or something that Zach's got for the week here in Scotland with his with his lovely family. How's it been staying here, Zach? Yeah, awesome. Uh, just kind of got into the tournament last minute and was obviously coming over with, you know, the f- whole family and some other people. Uh, so needed a place that we could all stay and, you know, this worked out perfect. Yeah, so it's good uh, when we just arrived. Uh, so Charlie's mucking around, jumping off couches, <laughs> clattering into suits of armor and things like that, which is pretty cool. To, uh, Charlie being Zach's son, which is entertaining. Yeah, it's been great. Um, so to start us off, I'd love to know, where did golf start for you? Yeah, so my dad uh, was a pro golfer, um, played a little bit uh, on the PGA Tour, played a bunch of mini tours, you know, just just loves golf, loves competing. Uh, he owned and operated a couple of, um, you know, little golf courses in Utah. So, uh, I just kind of grew up, you know, following him and, you know, going out to the golf course, watching him practice and going to tournaments with him and, you know, caddying for him when I was really little. So it's just kind of something that's been with me my entire life, just watching him. Um, and, and that's really how I got into it. Sorry, the one bit that I haven't heard before is the uh, your father had a couple uh, golf courses. Yeah, were you? Did you run around, be involved in those little golf courses? Did you help out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so uh, I lived with my dad kind of on the weekends, and you know, spent a lot of time with him in the summers. Uh, and he lived just you know in the pro shop of of one of them. It was called Mulligans. Um, it was like a a nine hole you know, executive golf course. There were a handful of par threes, a couple par fours and one par five, a driving range, you know, big practice facility and like a mini golf course. Um, and like pretty much like a dream scenario for a kid. Right. Um, so, you know, I just spent all my weekends, basically my whole life just kind of golfing and hanging out out there. Oh, that's epic. Did, um, when you were there, was your dad obviously being a PJ Pro, was he giving you lessons from a young age? Yeah, he's the only person that I've ever taken any lessons from. Um, you know, been my coach my whole life. Um, yeah, so that's really helpful and has been really good and kind of a, a you know, a constant in, in my whole golfing career, which is always helpful. Um, so he, he never was on tour when I was like golfing, but he still played professional golf. You know, he played a bunch of mini tours played on the you know whatever it was back then the corn ferry tour right now uh, a little bit and then just you know state opens and stuff like that and I, I would travel around with him a bit so it was always pretty neat you know he's kind of my hero in the golf world and um, when did you and him start having serious matches um i can't remember what age i i know we were in needles california playing in this pro-am that was the first time i ever beat him um you know so that was a big day i I think he kind of intentionally might have missed a few coming in you know for me to get the w there but that was i would say maybe like around 13 or something like that i remember i remember shooting like a couple under in the salt lake city open one year and tying him and you know, thinking that that was the coolest thing ever. And, um, you know, that, that, that was fun. 
So when do you still have big matches against him? He hasn't golfed much the last couple of years. His health's kind of been, um, you know, hit or miss. So up until a handful of years ago, I mean, we, we could go out and have, you know, a really good match. I mean, he's, he's really good at golf. Uh, you know, if he could have hit it a little further and, you know, maybe had the resources to kind of keep chasing it, he would have definitely, you know, been out here on the, on the big tour. And did he sort of instill, um, before we, we, we turned the mics on, we were talking about pace of play and things. So let's just get into that now, right? Cause where James and I grew up, it's very much drilled into us from a young age, you know, keep the pace up and you're, you're famous for your fast play. And we've walked around with you the last couple of days here in Scotland and you, you play very quickly. You just get to the ball and play. Was that something your dad instilled into you? Yeah. He liked to keep it, uh, I mean, as simple as possible with everything, you know, including kind of, you know, pre-shot stuff and yardages and swing thoughts. It was just kind of like, you know, get your number, here's your target and, you know, rotate finish. That's how I grew up playing golf. So it it was basically like, it's one of two clubs, right? It's like, just pick the club. You know, we always did this, uh, radar rules is what he called them. He he played college golf with Mike Reed and it was kind of like, if the pins in back, take one less. If the pin's up front, take one more. And so it was like that made it really easy between the two clubs, what to pick. And then, you know, it's just kind of go from there. So pretty point and shoot for me. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that's actually a really nice, uh, nice, interesting way of playing golf. You hear so much complication in pro sport right now, um, whether it's the scientific side or just the way that people are talking about uh, the swing thoughts, the 50 swing thoughts that they have to think about when they're playing. And you're none. Yeah, I literally, uh, like, I think of, like, one thing, basically, like that rotate finish type thing. Sometimes, you know, if I'm losing it a little left, it's like make sure you keep your grip pressure. If I'm losing it a little right, it's like, you know, kind of hit the ball at 7 o'clock and, those are the things I, I I've always found that my game kind of like, you know, slides on a spectrum and, you know, some days you're hitting it a little left, some days you're hitting it a little right. And my dad definitely taught me like, you know, out of 10 rounds, like you're going to have one or two good ones. You're going to have one or two bad ones. And then the rest are just kind of going to be, you got to do, do with what you got that day. So, um, I've never, I've never worried too much about hitting it perfect or, um, you know, how I hit it on the range. It was just kind of like, here's what I got today and let's go kind of try and shoot the best score we can. <laughs> so one of the things as well, Zach, that we know is really interesting about you as we move, you know, the pod's very much about architecture, golf course architecture and travel. Um, I, you know, the, the last couple of weeks, you know, you, you're popping up online and so you have great online following anyway, but for people that are following you, you go and play in these other great golf courses, like these architecturally significant golf courses around tour events, which is not necessarily the dumb thing amongst uh, your with most of your colleagues. I would suggest, like, what's the the driver behind that? Do you just use the travel as the opportunity to visit these places, or? Yeah, uh, it just you know this year has kind of been almost like my rookie year, where I haven't been getting into a lot of the Wednesday pro ams. Um, you know, coming off my major medical. So I've really had kind of a day to, you know, do whatever I want. And mm-hmm. it, it's been fun to go play really good golf courses. You know, I, I did that a lot. My first handful of years out on tour, you know, kind of studying great clubs and great golf courses. And for me, I just like to play golf. I can't stand like being out and just practicing all day. Mm -hmm. So uh, a few weeks ago, I think right before the Hartford event, it it was kind of like, we're going to be in an area with a lot of good golf. Like, let's just go out and try and get some reps and and play and see if we can play our way into some good golf. And, uh, you know, it seemed to work out pretty good. And also got to see, you know, a lot of good places along the way. Why not try Eden Mills' The Guard Bridge blended malt whiskey or golf gin? Visit our sponsor's site, www.edenmill.com, for more information. Eden Mills St. Andrews, bringing the art of distilling back to St. Andrews. And while we're on that as well, was there a point in your career 
not necessarily a professional career, but just golf itself, when there was that, like, whether it's a light bulb moment or a click where it's like, wow, I'm really interested in, in these courses and they are great for this reason. And like that sort of real interest in the architectural side. Yeah. So my freshman year of college, we actually came over to Scotland and with the BYU team and Mm -hmm. some of the donors and the boosters, um, and played, you know, all around here, played North Berwick, played, you know, the old course, played, uh, Carnoustie, um, couple of the courses at Gullen. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, a handful of others around here. And that was the first kind of taste of it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, playing St. Andrews and playing, um, you know, North Berwick and seeing Lynx golf really for the first time uh, was really neat. And then, um, you know, played some cool places in amateur golf. Um, and then my rookie year, I played the Greenbrier uh, and kind of got introduced to the, you know, Seth Rayner, CB McDonald template side of things. And that, that was the one that was really kind of like, Whoa, what is this? This is kind of weird. These are pretty neat holes and very different kind of very different look. And that's what really kind of got me down the rabbit hole of like, Hey, where can I find out more about this? And, you know, why did they do this? And looking more into golf course architecture. And, uh, yeah, that's how it started for me. So when you were coming out to BYU and playing on the earlier tours, like the Corn Ferry, and I believe you played in the Latin America tour. Yeah. Um, were any of those golf courses inspiring or was it very much the courses around the, the tour that inspired you? We played a couple cool ones, uh, on the PGA tour, Latin America. Um, it it was in, uh, Uruguay, uh, in Montevideo, uh, an old, you know, McKenzie course down there. Um, Mar del Plata or something like that. No, I can't remember uh, the name of the one down there. It's literally like, you know, I, 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 I'm going to butcher the name, so I'm not even going to, we've got a website that we can actually search on. Yeah. I'm not going (laughs) to attempt it. Um, but you know, right in like right in the city, you know, couple of the holes, like not right down on the water, but you know, it's basically boxed in three sides by, by the city. And then one side by, I don't know if it's the ocean or, or whatever, but it's just really cool. Old school, uh, you know, course that, that was a, pretty cool one to see um trying to think what else we really played but i mean in general i would say the most tours including the pga tour <laughs> we're not playing the the coolest golf courses in the world you know you're getting getting to a lot of tpcs a lot of newer stuff that you know is fine i guess for tournament golf um and you know they're always in really good shape and condition but it doesn't really pique your interest you know you're you're not like making your way, uh, you know, traveling, planning a trip around, you know, going and seeing, you know, fill in basically (laughs) any stop you're going to say outside of maybe, you know, Riviera or, you know, a handful of other ones that we, uh, get to play each year. Is there any architect that when you started playing their golf courses, you went, I want to research this person more? Yeah, Seth Rayner and CB McDonald, I think were, you know, again, were kind of the the first ones that it was like this is way different than than a lot of the stuff I've seen just visually from anything from the templates to the squared off, you know, fronts on the greens, just uh, you know, a lot of the scale, I would say of kind of some of their hazards and bunkers or whatever, uh, you know, was different than a lot of the stuff that I had seen, um, in Utah growing up in, in other places. So, you know, that's the first one that comes to mind. So when you decided that you wanted to be a course owner, uh, with the kind of the butt club stuff and through Utah, what inspired you to be that? Was it being on tour and speaking to people? What was the reasoning behind the butt club? I, originally it kind of stemmed out of, um, you know, seeing all these really cool places. Uh, you know, again, my first couple of years on tour, I didn't get to play the Wednesday pro-am. I had a day off and, you know, just kind of wanted to keep golfing and, you know, kept trying to go to the coolest place in town. Um, you know, 
quickly kind of became fascinated with trying to figure out what made the golf course great or what made the club great. And it was kind of like, man, I don't think we really have anything like this in Utah, you know, nothing like these golden age clubs, um, you know, no real high profile golf course, golf architecture that someone would travel to Utah to come play. And, and that's really kind of what it started as, um, and, and has obviously kind of, uh, you know, hit some roadblocks along the way and still want to do something in Utah, but obviously got the really cool opportunity to do something in South Carolina with the tree farm. And, uh, you know, the tree farm really kind of started from, you know, what I was trying to do with TBC. You said something really interesting because it's it's sort of thing. Sometimes people ask me as well, like what, when you're looking at these great clubs and you start to sort of do the deep dive yourself, whether you're driving the car away, sometimes I'm just doing that. I'm on my own or on a flight and I'm trying to reason with myself, like what makes a golf course great, like great inverted commas, you know, and what, uh, to me, I start to look for the commonalities between the, like the truly great courses. And what have you picked up on on that at the sort of places you've been? I mean, you're there, you're talking about Rainer McDonald, you're there with a Chicago golf club hoodie on. <laughs> um, I mean, when you go into a place like that or national or any golf course, like what do you think of the common, um, things that are always there, the truly great golf courses? Well, the architecture is obviously like superior, right? Uh, you know, and that's, uh, a pretty subjective topic, you know? Um, but at the same time, I think most people that have played a lot of really great golf courses, you you know, can see, you know, why certain courses are better. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it's the greens or, you know, that's an easy one to kind of key in on or, or, or anything like that. But, um, yeah, I kind of, to me, I think what separates some of the like best of the best is the architecture with the kind of scale that it's on. You know, when you're talking like your Shinnecocks and Nationals and Royal Melbournes and like those types of places, it has this sort of grand scale and, and the architecture kind of fits in with it and, and really kind of, you know, just jives with the land mm-hmm. uh, that it's built on. So that's kind of the the first thing that I would key in on on what I think kind of like separates like unbelievable places from, you know, like the next bucket down, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that next bucket down is still like unbelievable. It's really, really great, but it, it's just kind of like one one step below. Um, but from like I- anything else from a club aspect or, the, you know, the, that was all stuff that I was trying to, you know, key in on and figure out you know, why are these places good? Mm -hmm. And again, it's so subjective. And, you know, I could say that I think this course is the best and you might think that I'm crazy, you know, but most people, I I think if you got a room full of a hundred people that had all played the same 100 places, Mm -hmm. you know, could at least kind of have some commonality on like, like what the best ones are. Sure. And what were the key things, you know, flowing onto the tree farm, which obviously, as you know, I was I was lucky enough to get a cheeky little spin round in, in January, and I loved it. But what what were the key things that when you started the tree farm, when you knew you'd found that ground, and I guess we'll do a d- deeper dive into that in a second. We're like, okay, it would be awesome to have this hole. Like you and I had a cool conversation by uh, message like ages ago about like the Redan, for example, and, and Tom's like really cool line that he threw out to you. Do you want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So when we, uh, you know, obviously found the property, I had kind of, you know, messed around with some routings on it. Uh, you know, there's the whole other story of, you know, Rob and Tad, you know, being involved Mm -hmm. in the early goings with it. Um, and then when we got Kai involved and, you know, Will Smith and Kai had kind of said, Hey, maybe we should bring Tom in to help with the routing. And honestly, I, I just kind of, gave him the keys to basically like, I have no preconceived thoughts on what we should do templates, anything, um, you know, with the routing, I was just like, I I want the best course that you think would be possible here, Mm -hmm. the best routing, I guess. And, you know, he obviously found the, the Redan and it kind of in his hold notes kind of, you know, said sets up perfect for Redan or Redan if you're into that sort of thing. And, (laughs) you know, I was like very much, yes, uh, into that sort of thing. Um, 
So also cool that it's your fifteenth and it's the fifteenth at North Barrick. Yeah. Yeah. It uh it worked out perfect and it's a you know, it was cool. We had, you know, Kai obviously building it, but Ben Warren Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, was yeah. was over there for a, a short stint and and kind of uh you know, kept a close eye on that one while we were doing it. And he's obviously, you know, played, played North Barrick as much as probably anybody that, mm-hmm. you know, is in the dozer. So, um, it, it was just really cool to kind of be involved in that whole process and kind of see it start out at, you know, looking at a property to buying a property to seeing, seeing where it is now is pretty neat. Um, on that note, uh, a lot of people don't, wouldn't know what it's like as an owner going from, just a area of trees and sandy soil to a finished product. What is that process? For me, uh, it was, you know, a long process. Number one, you know, trying to do it in Utah forever and then kind of saying, Hey, maybe this isn't the right time or place to, to do it in Utah. Let's kind of look some other places. Uh, one of the things that was, always a little bit of a hurdle for the Utah thing was just like the seasonality aspect of a national club in Utah. It's like, you know, it's really hard to get people to travel out of good weather to come to good weather. It's a lot easier to get people to like leave the snow to come to good weather. So that immediately kind of led us or me looking South, you know, Southeast, more people easier to kind of travel and get around bigger kind of population to pull from. So, you know, finally found a cool site. Um, it, it was, uh, right, right during like the peak of COVID. So it was kind of like a black ops mission, you know, so <laughs> I remember flying out there for the first time and I was legitimately the only person, uh, on the flight, me and oh, my wow. friend were, were the only two people. Um, so we went out and looked at it and obviously thought it was pretty cool, um, I had never built a golf course. So, you know, you're kind of sitting there as playing a lot of good golf. I felt like I could at least envision, you know, what the land was to a certain extent, you know, it's obviously a stand of trees, so you can't just see every little nook and cranny, but you know, from, from the topography and everything like that, I, I felt like it was, uh, a neat spot that had a lot of potential. So it went from, you know, seeing it, then buying it, um, getting some people involved like Kai and getting, you know, people like Tom involved and then finding a bunch of, you know, people that, uh, that, you know, believed in the vision enough to kind of help out and, you know, carry us along, uh, to a certain point. And then, um, you know, Kai, Kai and Tom and me kind of work on the routing and, and, get something that we feel like is, is, uh, you know, good enough to be a great course on paper. And then, you know, you, you get the, the tree people in there and, you know, spend a month cutting down trees and, uh, figuring out like, okay, yeah, this land is really good. Um, and then, you know, get Kai in a dozer and, you know, him and Matt Smallwood and, uh, you know, guys like Ben and Eamon and let them go to work. And that that part there that you just said that you and Kai and Tom, so t- Tom comes up with this routing that I think a few of the holes from what you and I have chatted about before, you sort of found yourself, like you, you were finding some of the same holes, but was there anything that, that you were particularly precious about that not in an egotistical way, like, no, no, I love that hole so much. I really want that one to stay. Yeah. Or did you, I mean, you said before you kind of gave Tom the keys, but was there, there must be a little bit of, no, actually, I really like that. I'd love to see that hole in the dirt. Yeah. So I had done, I don't know, like a ton of different routings. Mm-hmm. And I had finally landed on one myself that I thought was really cool. Um, and then, you know, we brought Kai and Tom in and and I did kind of know, uh, he didn't even want to look at my routing because he was like, I don't want to see where you're going and kind of get caught into going certain, certain places. Um, so he started and it was kind of, you know, it it was over the winter, maybe sometime in December. Um, and he was kind of working on it and sending me little snippets and little bits, little pictures that would show like 
couple holes, you know, little stretches and little triangles of, of golf. And, you know, every couple of days he would show me kind of a new one. And, uh, then on Christmas, actually one day he actually sent me the whole thing. Um, you know, which was a cool, Merry Christmas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which was a cool little present. Um, and it, it was a really cool process and fun to see him and, you know, be able to talk with him briefly uh, about where he was going with it. And, and also at the same time, you know, it, until I had seen the whole thing, it was always like, Hey, here's five, six, seven. Where's he going to go with eight? You know, like, well, he could go, you know, here and here. So I was trying That's to, so cool. you know, so I was trying to piece together, um, as much as I could when he would send me the little, bits and you know every once in a while I would I would get it right um and then once he sent me the full thing I mean like I think I immediately flew out like the next day almost (laughs) like a couple days after Christmas and was like okay I'm gonna go you know start you know staking this like I did it myself me and really yeah me and uh me me and a couple friends Um, no, I think it was me and, uh, Max Arden maybe, uh, you know, put, put some stakes down. Um, and it was crazy to kind of see the property evolve, like, you know, throughout the seasons and kind of change and everything. But when, uh, you know, so he obviously did his first full routing one through 18 and I was somewhat familiar enough with the property to kind of think like, Hey, I think a few of these need to kind of change a little bit and the walk didn't seem great to me. And that was a big key of mine was like, you know, we want it to be a walking course. Um, so then when he came down for his kind of first walkthrough of it, maybe a a month later or something like that, um, you know, we kind of talked about it and, you know, said, yeah, I think, you know, a few things need to change. Like, I don't particularly love this, this, or this, you know, is there anywhere else we could go with, you know, a handful of these holes and we kind of made some adjustments. And then, uh, you know, like the second day uh, there were two places where I kind of like kept like begging Kai, like, Hey, can we at least go look at this? And he would look at it on the topo map and just be like, you know, like it's too steep. Like it's not going to be good for golf. And Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I've walked this so many times. Like, I promise you it's not too steep. Like, let's at least just go look at it. And this is what turned out to be the 11th hole and the 18th hole were, you know, these two specific changes. And, um, you know, I think they're really cool holes and on, on like really cool pieces of the property, especially 11, you know, it's just like originally Tom had it basically teeing off from the same spot and the the tee shot just kind of, it was a par three instead of a long par four. It just kind of like went to the valley, like to the top of the, mm-hmm. you know, you played over the little valley. Um, but then the next walk to the next hole was just brutal. It was like 200 yards. It would basically be like walking whatever the 12th hole, at the Renaissance club back to that next tee, you know, yeah. it was just like, it was a brutal walk. And I was like, I don't want that when we could just like play this and this next hole would be really cool. So, um, you know, so he made some changes and, you know, said, Hey, these are like really good. I think these are better than, you know, what we had before. And, uh, you know, went on our way and kind of restaked it and, um, you know, got, got building golf, you know, after, after they took the trees down. That must be such a thrill for you that you truly have been able to put your, your, your fingerprints on the course. And, and it speaks volumes for Tom as well, that, he has that openness to take on other ideas and he's not too prescient and no, that it has to be my way or the highway. And he's interacted with you and he's done that. And I'm sure there's some owners he would want to do that with and others he might not, but I suppose your golf knowledge is so much deeper than, than most course owners. Yeah. I think he, you know, he was great to work with, uh, you know, throughout the whole process. And I, I think it helped having, guys like Kai who Mm -hmm. he had worked a lot with and, and, you know, Kai somewhat being in my corner saying like, yeah, this is pretty good down here. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, some random person that had never really spent a bunch of time out there had, hadn't seen a lot of really good golf courses. Mm -hmm. So I think some of those things certainly helped and it was, you know, it was kind of a little nerve wracking because I've had specific conversations, you know, with Tom about, you know, like why would a course ask me to give my 
input if they're not going to listen to it. So it was kind of like, you know, I I had had conversations also with him like, Hey, you know, so-and-so says like, maybe we should do this. And it's kind of like, well, are you going to listen to the peanut gallery or like, did you hire me? You know? So there was certainly like a, a fine line of, you know, what's too much of kind of putting my fingerprint on it. And I tried to be as collaborative as possible. Like my whole objective was how do we get the best routing possible? Yep. Whether I didn't care if it was Kai's holes, Tom holes, my holes. It was just like, what's the best for, you know, getting the most out of it. And on that factor, which holes surprised you the most? Uh, man, um, 17, just because it was literally nothing, you know, mm-hmm. but that was always a hole that, you know, Tom and Kai, Kai specifically was, you know, just like, it's the shortest hole on the property. We can make whatever we want, you know? Uh, so that was always one when I was taking people around, showing them, it was always, you know, the conversation, you know, Kai said, you know, we can do something really Mm -hmm. cool and everyone kind of rolling their eyes like, oh yeah, it's just going to be a flat 170 yard, you know, 150 yard par three. Mm -hmm. And it's turned into a, you know, a really unique, cool hole. Um, the, you know, the holes like 11, I think is really cool. Uh, you know, kind of 12 tee shot, I think is really cool. Some of the, you know, some of the flatter holes like 12 and eight, you know, Kai built really cool greens that I would say were like a little, um, like outside of what I probably would have been comfortable with if I was just, you know, doing everything and making every call. But again, I gave him like the freedom, like, Hey, you've done this a lot more than me. You've seen a lot of really cool places build something cool and he built them. And then I got out there and was like, Oh yeah, this is really awesome. Um, and really different than anything we have going on. So, um, overall, I think, I mean, the par threes like four is, you know, ridiculously cool. And, um, I, I think will be really special, but, uh, I mean, I could go through every one, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but four, four is very much the riff on five at PV, right? Five exactly. Valley. Yeah. Um, and I said to you after I played the course and then we spoke in the car um, so we, we spoke on the phone almost immediately and I thought it stuck for most people that won't know much about the course right because it's not really out there as much a lot of people have talked about it but it starts with the par 3 which is fairly unusual yeah. and the set of par 3s are really strong there's nice varied par 4s like in my, in my opinion but the, for me the it's the par 5s that really stood out for me as a set of holes and so let's talk about that for a second, because I think it's just my opinion that I'm sort of projecting now. It's par fives for me the, the hardest holes to keep my attention as a golfer. And lots of par fives, especially on sort of tournament courses that we see on TV, are going to hit it hard, hit it hard. Maybe you get there in two, and not particularly interesting. But the par fives at Tree Farm are all very different from the one before and after. They pose different challenges. And I don't know, are you as equally as pumped for people to see these par fives? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, it was certainly, uh, uh, keyed in on, uh, thing when we were building the Mm -hmm. course. Uh, I had spent a little bit of time in Australia and I felt like a lot of the par fives over there were cool because you couldn't just blast away and knock it into a bunker green side. It's like, you know, you get these short grass areas around the greens and the ball gets running away. And that, I think that makes it more difficult for like a really good or really long player that they can't just, you know, whack one up there and kind of splash it on the green and get a good look at birdie. It's kind of like, Hey, you actually have to hit a good shot and control, you know, line and distance. So that was kind of one thing that stuck out to me. And then obviously where, you know, where they are on the site and, you know, the topography and uh, of those specific holes, like, nine is very, very short for a modern par five, like mm-hmm. five twenty-five from the back tee plays downhill. You know, if you get it downwind, you can literally have like nine iron in, um, which it, it was really interesting. And, um, it was really interesting to talk to a lot of the members and a lot of the people who played it because it was a, a pretty, uh, polarizing hole. You know, a lot of people kind of had the opinion like, oh, that's not a par five. 
you know, like it's too short. Someone in my group had wedge into it or, but it's a cool, the bounce that like I always think like the bounce to the rafting is key. And, but because the hole before the eighth for, yeah. for the listeners is like a very, very tough par four. Yeah. With a really cool wild green at the end of it. Yeah. So again, it's almost like you've got a four and a half and then a exactly. four and a half, but in two very different ways. And, Again, it's for people to try and visualize the the ninth green is exactly what you said, the big runoffs. Yeah. If, so if you miss that green, like your ball's traveling a long way away from that surface. Yeah. It was, it was, it was definitely intentional on the part, you know, four and a half, four and a half. Yeah. Um, and I think as people kind of start getting that uh, members and guests kind of understanding that and, you, you know, knowing that that was kind of intentional, I, I think it helps. Um, but yeah, the, the ninth, the green is really cool. Kind of has, I would say shades of like one at Pine Valley in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, you can run it in just straight down the middle, then it falls off kind of on, on all sides. I would say it's probably not as crazy severe on, on the sides, but in severe in a different way, I guess. So that's kind of the first one, um, you know, which I love. It's one of my favorite holes out there. And then you obviously have uh, 13, which is kind of like the eye candy, you know, yeah. So that was all, that was another hole that, uh, we changed. So originally if I have my holes right, originally that was the 12th hole and it played straight away, uh, basically past where the irrigation pond is now. It was like seven seventy. Um, it was a big hole. Wow. Uh, another little side note, like before Tom got involved, he had me kind of write this letter to him, basically like describing what I was looking for. Some of my favorite golf holes, uh, you know, things of that nature. And I I think I specifically mentioned like, it would be cool to have a three shot par five, Mm -hmm. you know, like a true three shot par five. So he, he certainly, you know, had that in the routing. (laughs) It's like, no chance. No, no one was getting there. You know, I don't care who with respect. Are. No with, one was getting there. with respect. Um, <laughs> and, and, but it, it was just it was too much. It was kind of like, you know, kind of went through two big valleys. The next hole went through a big valley. The hole before that, you know, went through a big valley, and it was just like, you know, it's getting a little monotonous. Yeah, uh, sun repeats. And you know, that's when I was kind of like, could we, could we take this right? and and build a hole like this you don't see a lot of par fives that are this big of a dog leg that aren't around water and you know he he obliged again and you know explored it and thought it was you know had enough potential and there were a few kind of you know holes over there that i thought could work whether it was a you know par four and then this really short par three or or whatever but so anyways, that was another hole that kind of changed. And I think it changed, you know, very much for the better. And it's a really unique kind of striking hole that, uh, again, I think is so great as a par five because it doesn't really matter if you hit it 370 or 270. It's all about can you get it kind of like at the right edge of the fairway. Yeah, Big fairway, plenty of room to blow it left but then you just keep getting further and further away from the hole. So, and, and then you have a really cool kind of heroic shot over the big badlands kind of, you, you know, eroded out kind of uh sandy clay, you know, badlands, you know, that, that's what we call it. Um, or you can kind of just, you know, play it as a three shot hole mm-hmm. and take it out to the left and, you know, pitch one on the green. So cool. I love like just to try and visualize for people that are listening this hole is like this big sweeping dog like left, right, almost like banked like a, a car racing track. Yeah. If you can imagine this huge, big, not quite crater, a huge big hollow in the property that, and you, you're sort of banking around the rim of this crater, yeah. right? That's a fair description. Yeah. And then, you know, we said we wouldn't go through every hole, but the, the course is so exciting. And 14 for me is just like really neat little par four with a green kind of like tucked up the left there, which I think is a real sleeper hole. I think it'll be one of the holes that people end up really liking. Um, I'm sure they'll like it straight off the bat, but I think it'll become a crowd yeah. favorite. Then 15, you've got Redan. 16, we've got that, you know, re- another really cool par five with a double punch bowl green, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the last one. And again, super unique, I think, you know, and I asked this question and I really haven't got an answer because, you know, I don't know if I say, you know, say the question or ask the question right, but it, 
is basically like I can't think of very many holes where you hit uphill twice yeah. and downhill once. Um, you know, so you you kind of you're you're teeing off from the low and then the fairway is kind of up on this ridge, like, you know, twenty feet above the tee shot. And then it's kind of like this double dog leg almost. It kind of dog legs right. And then the green is kind of tucked back up in this, uh, you know, this valley uh, double punch bowl that Kai built was really cool. And again, you know, somewhat polarizing. I know Tom, uh, you know, didn't like the green when he came oh, out. Really? And, okay. <laughs> and and I know that, you know, maybe maybe one other person uh, like Mike Kaiser or something uh you know, was like, oh, well, you're well, gonna- Mike Kaiser or something. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Kaiser. Yeah. Uh, senior. Uh, I, I think he was fairly critical of it too. Um, and it was kind of like, well, you know, I wasn't there when he, when he was there, but I was there when Tom was there and he was just kind of like, you know, the, the, the sides are very extreme and you're only going to have like a handful of pin positions. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was like, yeah, I mean, that's what I asked kind of built, like, yeah. you know, and he did it. it, it we wanted, the goal on that green was to basically be able to use the punch bowl on any putt or any shot ever, yeah. you know, whether it was a putt from 10 feet, you know, you could still, you know, go up and kind of NASCAR it and bank it around the, the ball. Um, and without a doubt, the most talked about green on the course, talked about hole, everyone it seems leaves and is like, that green is so fun. I wish yeah. I could just go take a bucket of balls out there and just chip and pitch and putt and just, and that was the goal, you know, and, and Kai I think crushed it and it's really cool, very unique, but uh, yeah, a unique hole from start to finish. And, you know, I'm sure it'll, it, it'll evolve. You know, we've talked about taking a few trees down. So the second shot's, a, you know, a little different than it is now, but uh, it's uh it is a really cool hole and, you know, kind of makes up that, that last of the set of three par fives. And then just to, just to wrap up on the tree farm, this has been awesome. I could talk about this all night, but, <laughs> um, because James and I will no doubt get accused very quickly as this, as this pod develops as being biased towards North America and we're unash- unashamed homeboys. Um, you posted on Instagram this week when, when you went to play at North Barrett with a good friend of ours, Richard Levine, um, the 18th hole at tree farm was is somewhat inspired by the 18th hole in North Berwick. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my only, that was my only thing in the routing at all in my letter to Tom in his kind of what I hired him to do. But my, my only kind of caveat or, or, or thing that I was requesting or requiring, I guess was the 18th. I want it to be a drivable par four. Yeah. And, uh, so when he first did it, uh, in my letter, I had written to him, you know, specifically like, like the 18th hole at North Berwick. And so in his first routing, it was like 345. And I was like, I mean, who do you think like is, you know, like it's the, the reason that hole at North Berwick is so cool is because every single person steps on that tee and is like, I'm going to knock it on the green and make Eagle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like virtually every single person is, is trying to drive the green. Mm -hmm. And so that was the goal. So when he first, you know, did his hole, it was on top of basically where the cabins and the clubhouse are right now. Um, and it was like three fifty or three sixty or whatever. And I was like, this isn't drivable. Like it needs to be sub 300. So right now the, the the 18th at the tree farm from like the tee you play basically every day is like 265. Which um, is cool. I think North Barrett's 277. I think someone will correct me on that off the yeah, back. Yeah, so, 277. Yeah. And, you know, slightly downhill, like slightly elevated tee, which is, again, similar to tree farm. But you've yeah. got that huge, it's, again, it's hard to visualize. And for me to stress how deep that hazard is on the right-hand <laughs> side, there's this like enormous... The pit. Oh, it's, uh, it's like something out of what's that thing in Star Wars with the, you know, the teeth, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the sand thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sand I mean, it's incredibly deep. I think they just kept kind of digging in there and kept finding sand and kept throwing it over to the dune on the left of that hole and just were like, keep going, you know, and they just, they <laughs> yeah. just, they just never stopped. So it'll be interesting to see how that hazard kind of evolves and it's kind of still unfinished, honestly. And, uh, but yeah, very much inspired by the 18th at North Berwick. And I think it's 
turned out really, really cool and, Mm -hmm. you know, leaves you with a, um, smile on your face because you can make it too, but you can also make, it was a little, I would say a little more challenging than the one at North Bear, uh, just cause there's just a little more room to make a a five or a six instead of kind of just being able to, you know, putt one on the green and make a four. I'm not going to lie to you. I've made lots of five and sixes. (laughs) You go across those cars. (laughs) Yeah. We had, we had a really easy win the last time we played over there. You could just send them over the cars and they were coming back onto the green. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I think we'll just about tie that up on the tree farm. And uh, apologies, James, I've kind of been hugging the pod just because I was lucky enough to, (laughs) to play the tree farm, but just, I just wanted to say, you know, congrats, Zach, like what you did was, you know, all of our uh, golf course architecture geeks that we're proud to call ourselves would dream of doing and you've done it so we're all very jealous of you what you've achieved i think is phenomenal and for people that are lucky enough to go and play there i know they're going to leave with a huge smile on their face and not just because the 18th slide north (laughs) well thank you no it was it was it was good took a lot of people a lot of people that believed in it and uh you know still a long ways to go but off to a good start with the course um something that we like to do on the podcast every time is ask you your top five favorite golf courses it doesn't have to be five. Simon said 13. So you go with what's the golf courses that really inspire you around the world? Um, man, there, there's definitely more than five, but I don't know if I'll, I'll get more than five. Um, I'm so bad at this, but I, I would say like national golf links of America's, uh, in there. Um, Shinnecock, Pine Valley, North Barrick, um, Royal Melbourne, I would say. Big Royal Melbourne guy. Yeah. Um, throw in the old course, and I'll, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll throw the tree farm in there. Why not? Nice, well yeah, played. Good. Well played. <laughs> um, well, actually, about that, something. Um, just a wee addition on the tree farm yourself you've been brilliant at building up publicity around your um whether it's the buck club or the tree farm um a lot of the newer golf courses don't get that haven't got the platform that you've been able to build for yourself how have you done that honestly it just started kind of not as a joke with with the tbc stuff but you know we just kind of made a bunch of merch and you know we're sporting it around utah or around you know around the golf world and people saw it and thought it was cool and, you know, started making more. And then obviously social media has been, uh, a massive, uh, kind of like advancement in being able to kind of get the word out there with anything. And, you know, was fortunate to live in kind of the perfect time to take advantage of some of that. And, you know, I, I've really just treated the whole process from TBC all the way to the tree farm, like trying to show people the whole process, right? It's like most people go and play, you know, this new golf course and they play it right when it opens and they think that someone just snapped their fingers and built a cool place. And in reality, there's just so much more that goes into it. So, you know, and you don't always get to see kind of like the hard things or the interesting things. They just know like, Oh, I just went and played a new golf course. So I tried to look at it from the lens of, you know, it would be really cool to show people like what it took to get from, Hey, we just bought this really cool piece of property to, Oh my gosh, someone just went and played this really cool golf course and got to watch the entire evolution of, you know, the start to finish. Um, so that's how I kind of tried to look at it, uh, you know, with the whole, the whole tree farm thing. Well, you, your passion obviously comes through in everything you do because you, you show, uh, well, your knowledge and passion come through. And I think that, tran- uh, that transcends any sort of Instagram post or anything. <laughs> it, it shows that uh, you're doing it for the love rather than for anything else. Mm-hmm. And that Absolutely. tends to result in greatness rather than mediocrity. Yeah, no, it's been, it's just been really cool to see how many people have, you know, thought it, thought it would be neat to follow along. And, uh, it was obviously really cool to just see people play it for the first time. You know, I had played it 
a, a bunch, you know, throughout the build and played it in the dirt and played it in the trees and, you know, finally played a little bit of it on the grass. And then, you know, the first time I played it one through 18 was pretty special, but that, that first day when, you know, there were 30 people there playing it for the first time that had, you know, never played it was pretty unreal. Was it quite an emotional day? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was out there and I, I remember I, 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 I skipped a week on tour, I think to go play, you know, to go be there for the first handful of days. And, uh, it, it was kind of the best decision ever. When you, um, Sorry, one last thing about the tree farm. Where t- this is this could go on forever. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Cool. It's so cool. The um, when you played it in your head, all those times, to the point of playing it for the first time, how different was it for you? So, you know, I talked to Kai every single day for like multiple years uh, throughout the design and build and everything. Sorry, one last thing. How many years did it take to do the whole process? Well, we bought the course on my birthday in 2020. We did the routing kind of later that year through the next year. Trees came down summer of 21 and we went to England, me and Kai and, you know, Will Smith and David Margolis and John Shimp and a couple other people and Rich was there, I, w- I would assume. And uh, uh, went and played a bunch of Heathland courses and then came back October 30th, I think, maybe the you know, the day before Halloween. I think the, the dozer was delivered and Kai, you know, came down there a handful of days later and, you know, just kind of shoved the first piece of dirt. So uh, August 2020 to, you know, played the first round of golf, uh, you know, um, March, mm-hmm. March of 23. Yeah. So it's insane. Yeah. yeah it's uh, unbelievable. Um, so I think, right. I've asked all my tree farm questions. I have to admit, <laughs> I, I could keep going. I, I could ask a lot there's more, so, by the way, but there's we, so many more yeah. and we could easily have a two parter, but well, uh, to finish that question though, when, when, when I was thinking and visualizing, you know, the course, how it was going to play it, was I had very high expectations and it blew away like anything that I could have thought because, you know, you, you're so close to it and you're like, Oh, is this going to play right? You know, like, is the Redan going to kick all the way to the back left pins? If you hit that shot, you know, is nine going to do what you're thinking? You know, can you hit the shot on 13 and have it, you know, land past the bunker and kick 20 yards, right. And get on the green. And it was like every single thing, you know, is the double punch bowl on 16 going to be fun and not too weird? Like everything is 18 going to do what it was designed to do. Mm -hmm. Like every little thing Kai and those guys nailed. And, you know, it was very much like beating on the door of like, we have to make this right. We have like fix, we got to fix this a little bit. And Kai's like just, obsessed with getting things right and you know with hey i'm gonna be done with three tomorrow like you should come out and then for like three more weeks be on the third hole (laughs) or like you know like whatever it was um so he he was uh, i mean very passionate about the project and it was just so so cool to have somebody like that boots on the ground every day kind of pouring his blood sweat and tears into it um so i'm a big gold rush fan i've never driven a dozer (laughs) um how's your dozer work yeah, I think it's all right. I, I you know, I I hopped in and messed around out there a handful of days and you know, my claim to fame is uh I pushed a little dirt on on 16 on the fairway bunkers and you know, I, I like to tell people that I built those. <laughs> you know, I I got after it a little bit out there, but you know, Kai helped me get get better for sure. Um you know, I can go out and operate it. You know, I'm I'm not gonna make a mess, but I'm I'm not gonna go like finish something off and think that it's <laughs> anything great. Um, so I know we keep jumping back to the tree farm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end it there because we're gonna be on a three hour <laughs> podcast. Um, but the any golf courses that we should know about that are just not talked about, any that you've been out on around the world while touring and gone, oh my god, this is amazing little hidden gem down the road here. I'm not, I would not say that I'm an expert on, on hidden gems. Um, 
you know, for me, my travels were more like, why is Shinnecock so yeah, good? Going to okay. see the true yeah. great. So, so yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't kind of in that world of like, not that there's anything wrong with it. I would love to be able to like give people like, hey, what what's like a cool. Uh, this guy texted me the other day, uh, Dirk Ziff, who, who was like, Hey, what are your like most under, under the radar courses? And I was like, I have none. Like, I don't think I could give you any, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm such a, like whatever you would call it, like fair weather, like I'm going to go to like the best place, you know? And, and, and I would rather probably go play like the best place a hundred times than play the top 100 you sure. know I would, I would rather just go play national yeah. every day you know because i'm i'm a little bit of a you know i'm I'm trying to see like wh- why that place is great and pick out every little thing you know what could be better so i couldn't give you um but that's really interesting any, unfortunately because every a lot of people who are in your sector or doing what you're doing really <laughs> like to be proud about the fact that they know these inter- yeah. interesting little bits, but you're actually more about the analytics of what makes something amazing. And it's just like, the, like you said, there, you know, there are a ton of people that are kind of beating down that door of, you know, finding these, these hidden gems and these great places. Like Andy Johnson does a really good job yeah. of that. Um, you know, the Sugarloaf social guy does like a really good job of finding these really cool places, mm-hmm. but more so like Andy and Tron and like any of those guys that know laying up or like whatever they go, they go play these really cool places that you might've never heard of. And I, I would love to go play some of them, but it's like, I have such a finite amount of time yeah. that it's like, I have one day, a Wednesday yeah. to go play somewhere. And if, if it's like, Hey, we can go down and play Wingfoot. <laughs> I'm probably going to go play Wingfoot over trying to, of course. like, you know, hit the lotto and find a really cool yeah. sleeper. And I always say that you and I have had this chat years ago, one of the first times we met, um, which must have been five or six years ago. About we remember we were goofing around, we came up with this uh, the top five courses in the shadow. Yeah, and it was like you know the new course at St Andrews maybe doesn't get the praise as if it was somewhere else because it's right next door to the old course. Yeah, that's a really cool question. Um, yeah, well we were yeah we were getting pretty deep like we were in full send geek mode at this point. But yeah, that to me and like when I was running around like an idiot trying to to play all these courses around the world, people would say, "Oh, you've got to go and see that place." You just haven't got the time. Yeah, and if you're focused on seeing the very best, but that's what I did realize when I took my foot off the gas with that is that there is so many amazing golf courses around. And, you know, we've, we've done a, a podcast with Clyde Johnson that James did that, that hasn't released yet. And he said something like a great line in that. I wouldn't remember it exactly, but he says he wants to have fun and be inspired when he goes to see places. And he reeled off this list of courses that he'd played. And he said, look, there might not be great holes like one through 18, yeah. but there's at least one awesome hole that I hadn't seen anywhere else in the world that I've kind of stuck in the memory bank that when I'm building a golf course, I'm like, oh, hey, I'll use that bit there because that feature works really well at course X. And, you know, he is one of these guys that travels around, and as does Tom Doak, of course, and he just stores, like, their database is just incredible, which I don't have. Yeah. That they just remember, oh, this whole works here. I must file that away because I'll maybe be able to use it on a golf course in the future. Yeah. And that's honestly, like, that fits Kai to a T too. Yeah. Uh, like my first conversation I really ever had with him of any length uh, was just, I was so blown away by, by that type of memory yeah, of incredible. like, he had just seen the the land like for th- 40 minutes or 50, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, Oh, like something like that I saw here could work out there on that part of the, pro- you know, and it's just like, like to come up with that stuff like that, it's just, you've seen so many great places, so many cool places, so many under the radar places mm-hmm. where, and you just know all of this little stuff. It's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And on that though, we must uh, give Kai a call at some point and get, and get Kai on the show. Cause he's someone that I think everyone would love learning that stuff from Zach yeah. and it's like he, his, his database is quite incredible. Yeah. He's yeah, great. Absolutely. Um, we do need to end this podcast. <laughs> um, so the way I'd like to finish it, um, why is playing fast so important to you? That's my final question. To me, uh, it's, I just, like I said, 
you know, I get the number, I pull the club and I hit the shot. There's kind of not, there's not too much that you can really try and decipher, you know, at, at a certain point. And then there's always the, you know, there's always the rare situation, like some par five over water or par three or like some really, really hard shot where it might take a few extra seconds or a minute or two because the wind's swirling or it's a huge situation and, you know, there's a lot on the line, but or just a routine, like I'm in the middle of the fairway, I've got 170 yards in, it's kind of like, Hey, this is either the six or the seven, you know what I mean? And, and you just kind of go from there. So I've never really thought of it like, Hey, I'm trying to play quickly. It's just a product of kind of keeping things very simple and just trying to like execute the shot at hand. Um, it's kind of fascinating, honestly, to see how slow people can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand it, you know, you're playing golf for a lot of money. So the professional side maybe is a, a little different than, you know, your, your typical round out at, you know, a golf course. And you're like, what are, what are these guys doing? And then at the same time, it's like, Hey, if you suck, like golf's going to take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. Well, I think we'll probably just end it there. Yeah. Thank you very much, Zach. That's been so interesting. Yeah. I really absolutely appreciate that. that. Special thank you to Zach and his family for welcoming us in. Really fantastic group of people you have there, Zach. Next week, we have Cruden Bay's immediate past GM, Les Derno, who discuss its rise to 68th in the world under his brilliant supervision. Also, feel free to contact me. It's james at top100golfcourses.com. Please like, follow, share, everything to do with the podcast. It makes a big difference for us. And remember, play fast, lunch slow.